You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 91. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Bill Brewer. Uh, Bill is a member of the faculty of the College of Health Sciences and Technology at the Rochester Institute of Technology in New York. He serves as Director of Exercise Sciences with the Wegman School of Health and Nutrition. In July 2013, as a result of his first ever colonoscopy, he was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer. He underwent a surgical hemocolectomy to remove one-third of his colon, including the stage 3 tumor. It was during his recovery that he seized the opportunity to do something he had always wanted to do and wrote a novel, A Tear of the Assassin, which was published under a pen name. Early detection saved his life. Surviving cancer made him realize that life's too short to not to strive to achieve your dreams. His latest book in the David Digret series is going to be released on March 10th, and it is called Blood of the Assassin. And you can check that book out at uh, thrillingreads.com forward slash brewer, B-R-E-W-E-R. During this interview, we'll talk to Bill about his uh, writing process, his books, uh, colonoscopies, uh, early detection, which is so important for you. If you haven't gotten your colonoscopy and you're over 50, go do it. I did mine this year. Uh, so we just uh, wanted to put that message out there. So here we go. Episode number 91 with Bill Brewer. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Alan with Meet the Thriller Author. And today I have uh, Bill Brewer on the phone. How are you doing this morning, Bill? I'm doing just fine. It's a real pleasure to be able to speak with you and, and the listeners of your podcast. Well, we're happy to have you uh, on the podcast. Uh, so can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a, I'm a happily married guy who uh, has three uh, lovely grown children, and I work as a uh, professor at the Rochester Institute of Technology in Rochester, New York, where I teach anatomy and physiology and, and exercise physiology. So I'm still doing that kind of job and doing that kind of work at the university, which is really, really interesting. But I am uh, now venturing into thriller writing, and I'm really excited to be able to uh, share with your listeners a bit about that process and a bit about my my books, the uh, David Digert series of thrillers. And did you always wanted to write thrillers? Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I would say so, because I really sort of started creative writing way back as a teenager. And, you know, it, it kind of took a took, took a sideline to a lot of other things going on in my life, raising kids and uh, working at a university. But there was always that desire to want to tell a story. And I've been a big fan of thrillers, you know, my, my whole life. And I just was always pulled to that genre. And had that sense of, you know, well, you know, one day I'm going to do this kind of thing. I would take uh, writing classes and read books on how to write a book and that sort of thing. And do a lot of of, uh, trial stories, um, but never really found something that I thought was truly publishable until I came upon this series of stories that, that, that I've recently published. Uh, can you tell us about the, about those stories and about your character, uh, David uh, Digert? Yeah, sure. So there, it's currently there are two stories, and a third one is is on its way. David Digert is a relatively young man from a very difficult background. Founds finds himself with few options in life. Ends up in a situation where he's kind of coerced into becoming a hitman and becoming a 
an assassin, which is never something he intended for, but then actually turns out he's pretty capable and pretty good at it. So the, 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 the crux for the character is that he's really good at something that he really doesn't like doing. And I wanted to have that sort of dichotomy because it creates a tension within the character that then I think makes a compelling entry for people reading the story. You get the sense that this guy's really good at something that he really doesn't want to do. And there may be people who can think about certain things in their life where they're good at something, but they don't really want to do it. And that sort of dichotomy creates a tension within the character. Once you kind of have that tension in the character, then you place him into situations and circumstances where he kind of has to act or, you know, very bad things will happen to him or to people he loves or to innocent people. And now you've got attention built within him. And then you're filling the scenarios with tension that are resolved with action. And then I think it becomes uh, a more compelling story. And that's the, and the first book is Dawn of the Assassin. It's Correct. Yeah. Dawn of the Assassin um, is, is the first one. So I, I do describe it as the origin story of David Digert, sort of, you know, who was this guy? He was really just a normal person until the circumstances that uh, presented themselves created someone who becomes an assassin. And then the second one, Blood of the Assassin, he comes to find out more about a clandestine organization that has been hiring him, which at first he didn't even know who was hiring him because his assignments came through the web. Now he kind of is learning about this organization and the readers are learning about, whoa, there's this big, you know, behind the scenes, powerful organization that has the capacity to be able to order up assassinations in order to maintain their position of power within the world, within global markets, within a geopolitical uh, scenario that I've kind of created. So I think it's, it's an exciting next step for readers who've read the first one to uh, see what happens in the second one. Yeah, I love your cover too. I'm looking at the cover of Dawn of the Assassin. It's uh, right on right on target. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Before you wrote, you, you started writing your thrillers, um, who were some of the authors that influenced you? Yeah. So uh, if I go back to being a, a kid, I, I can remember reading Call of the Wild by Jack London. And, you know, that was an assigned reading that we had to do in school. But I found it so exciting so compelling, the, the wilderness, the, 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 the kind of challenge that they had to face in, 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 in Alaska and in the Yukon. I thought it was great. Then I can even remember uh, Huckleberry Finn. Now, there's a classic, but that one's about a boy who's off on his own, no parental guidance, you know, in an environment where there's lots of questionable characters. He has to use his wits and his guile to keep himself from, from getting in, in huge trouble. And I just thought that was really cool too, how, how this young kid had to be uh, uh, slick enough to be able to survive in, in these environments. But I also 
would say that authors that really influenced me as far as writing thrillers, one of them is Mark Graney, who's written the Gray Man series. And I, and I love the Gray Man because he is a character who has to live by his own wits, who doesn't have a lot of backup. He doesn't have a government agency that's helping him. He's been burned by the CIA. So you get this real sense of an individualism. And instead of being slick and suave and walking around in a tuxedo, this guy lives in a cardboard box if necessary, rents an apartment in a in a dungy little uh, basement if necessary. He's willing to go to ground in order to maintain his clandestine presence. And I just thought, now that's a lot more realistic than James Bond, you know, walking around telling everybody his last name first, you know, and I just thought the series really compelled me because it seemed to have a greater realism to it. But I'd also remark that I love Vince Flynn and Mitch Rapp. And Mitch Rapp is a character who has a lot of the same guile that you'll see in The Gray Man, but also does have a team behind him, does also represent the government. And although he sometimes is up against nefarious government agencies, even his own, you still find that there's a bit of a teamwork with him. So Mitch has a uh, a capacity to be able to call on individuals who will come and help him. He has the capacity to be able to draw a team together that then he leads in to resolve scenarios. And so there's a little difference in those two stories, but they're both led by these strong characters. And so what's your what, what's your writing process? Do you um, do you outline or do you just sit down and start writing the story? Uh, I'm definitely an outliner. You know, as a teacher, I, I outline unit plans. I outline lesson plans, semesters. It's all about making a plan before carrying it out. So in my writing, I, I do the same kind of thing. But what I really like about the outline is that it's really the brainstorming session. It's the where you take your imagination, you take the little bits and pieces that you've been thinking about, and then you put them together on bullet points. So I'll make like a, like a I don't know, probably 500 bullet point outline, short sentences that are indicative of what happens next, what happens next. And sometimes you put in snippets of dialogue that you think will be really cool. And then you have this whole outline and you can look at it and say, hmm, maybe I need to move this bullet point down here. And if I do that, then this bullet point needs to go away or I need to add something in. And you can kind of shift it around, kind of like a puzzle, if you will, until you have what you think is the right sort of concept of the story and the the, the, the developmental points, both in the plot and in the characters, all in bullet points. Then you've spent that time, and I find it's really fun. It's really the creative part. It's really the pulling together before you then go and turn it into prose. Now it's detail. Now it's dialogue. Now it's um, descriptions of action scenes so that they flow. It's... Um, relating it to scientific elements that might be coming in so that the reader can understand the whys and wherefores that you're proposing in the story. But all of that flows 
from the outline with the outline being the, the, the basis. But, you know, Alan, I, like I tell my students, the outline is written in electronic bits. It's not written in stone. Yeah. So when you go to write the story, if you find something oh, in the outline is just not working, boom, you just adjust. You just move on and change something as necessary to make the story work. I can remember um, a scene in, in Dawn of the Assassin. There was this one character that Diger meets, and in my outline, they were supposed to be friends. But when I brought the two characters together in the actual process of creating the prose, I just got this feeling like these two guys are not going to like each other. They're just not. And they didn't. And I went back and changed the whole story because they become combatants. They become confrontational. And it makes the story much, much richer, but it was sort of stepping away from the outline and saying, no, nah, it's not going to work with them being friends. Yeah, that's a great point because I see a lot of people freak out about outlines, but uh, yeah, it's not like it's uh, you're forced to follow it if, it, if if once you start writing it, it's not working. I find what it does is it, it captures those elements of, I don't know, creativity that happened to you, you know, here and there and everywhere that you can't suddenly turn into prose. At the same time, it it frees you from having to try to remember every darn thing that you've thought of because you put it down in the outline and you've captured it. You can go back and reread it and say, oh, yeah, I remember this. And sometimes you, even with the outline, you go back and you think, whoa, that's a bad idea. That's a really bad idea. And you can just get rid of it then. I think as writers, we all recognize, right, that we think up, you know, way more than could really go in the story. And we think about a lot of stuff that might be cool that turns out not to be cool. And you leave it out of the story so that you hone the story down to just the best stuff that you've come up with. And uh, what do you use to to write and to do your outlines? Do you just use like Word or something something else? I do. I use I use Microsoft Word. And I find that, uh, you know, when I write up one of these bullet point outlines, I can even use that structure to then go back and write the prose, write the components of the stories that I want, and then just eliminate the bullet points as I go. I find also that bullet point process allows me to write scenes and not necessarily have to do them in order, which sometimes I'll find, well, here are the really coolest scenes or the scenes that I have the most sort of visceral response to. And so I'll go and I'll write those because they're kind of just bursting out of me. And then later I have to stitch them together with the transitions that make the story flow and make, make the story make more sense. And rather than kind of having to force the transition so I can go to the next thing, I'm already knowing what those cool scenes are so that now I can make that transition a little richer, make that transition a little more with a bit more foresight to, to kind of trigger the reader to say, 
Ooh, you know, maybe just maybe one more chapter, <laughs> you know, before they before they put it down. So I think that that's helpful too. When you know the the the, the content of the scene, I think you can enrich that element of transition. And when you're actually writing the story, do you like set goals? Like I'm going to write a thousand words a day, or how, what's your process there? Yeah, you know, I I I, I like that that idea. But I know that right now, you know, between what I do with the university and, uh, you know, the time I have, it's a little hard to stick to, to such clear goals. However, when I do have longer periods of, of free time, I, I will set set goals like that. Um, a thousand words a day, I've, I've done that. I've done, uh, you know, three chapters a day where you're sort of cranking it out in, in rough draft form. I've also done um, goals with editing because I think the editing process is just so critically important and sometimes maybe not the favorite of a lot of writers, but I find that the editing really gives you that opportunity to take that second thought, to take that re-examination and to uh, smooth the, the, the language, get rid of excessive words, so I'll I'll also set a goal like I'm going to edit you know 30 or 40 pages in in a day. Oh, okay, so that's cool. So you edit as you're writing it, or do you wait till the end? I I do generally wait till the end. I wait till I've sort of got the whole first rough draft. Then I go and back and edit the whole entire thing so that it's an edited draft before I share that with my beta readers. Then edit again after the beta readers um, before then handing it off to a professional editor who who I've been working with lately, who then goes through and gives it a professional edit. You know, I think for for writers and writers listening and, and people maybe listening to this or thinking about going into writing, that when you embrace the editing process, you recognize that writers are brilliant of course but it's not like first draft is 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 out there the editing process allows you to refine reflect and recreate until this 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 body of work that you have then really becomes readable and entertaining and perhaps impressive but the power of of editing is to create something that then will hold people's attention and be worthy of their time to entertain them. Especially writing with these type of thrillers, uh, how much research do you put into uh, each story? Quite, quite a bit. You know, here again, you know, being in a university environment, we in a science environment, you know, everything's got to be supported. Everything's got to be evidence-based. Everything's got to be. Uh, <clears throat> clarified in a way that we know that this is truth and factual. Well, of course, writing fiction, not everything has to be truth and factual, but it has to be plausible, and it has to be sensible, and it has to, thriller writers are intelligent people, and they want to know that this story is at least based in truth, is presenting plausible ideas that then I'm willing to suspend my suspicions in order to enjoy 
a story of fiction. But to make that happen, the research has to be there to make your uh, suppositions sort of plausible. And I think that um, when you're looking at creating stories that are sort of like, if not absolutely current, are in the near future. So the near future, you're going to be talking about technologies that are under development, technologies that are forthcoming, and then creating an interesting way in which forthcoming and near future technologies will spawn and uh, introduce different types of human experiences and different elements of both moral and ethical behavior that I think is really at the crux of a good thriller, right? The antagonist is oftentimes the person who's looking to employ some type of new technology in a way that creates an advantage for the villain, an advantage that the villain usually sees as good as plausible, as, as appropriate, but often has some nefarious ethics to it. So that kind of research is really, really interesting to me because many of the colleagues at, at the university, they're working on stuff, technology stuff, that's going to be in the near future, things that are coming forth. And I kind of meet with these colleagues and talk with these colleagues, and then I take what I've learned from them, and I take it another step with a fictional application, and I think that makes the, the thriller that much more compelling. I think it's also important to be able to research and identify locations and to be able to describe locations in a way that allows the reader to feel like they're there, or at least for the reader to recognize that the character is there. What does it feel like to be in this location or in this place? Yeah, that's a, a amazing um, with your academic background that uh, you should put that to good use for your research and, 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 and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what do you think characterizes your, your writing, like what uh, compared to like other thrillers? Sure. So I would describe my writing as um, fast-paced with intense action scenes and um, designed to display uh, consistent character development. The plot is always important, of course, but I think readers really love characters and they really love to see characters grow and develop. They want to feel the story through the character. And I like writing action scenes. I like making them intense, and I like keeping the pace of the story moving briskly. It's a challenge to find how briskly can I keep the move story moving while making sure that the character's development is occurring through these scenes. So that's, that's what I would describe my story for readers who are considering whether or not trying one of my books is worth it. <laughs> so you're working on the second book right now. When's that going to be out? That's going to be out in March. So Blood of the Assassin 
takes Diger deeper into this uh, clandestine organization that, that, that he finds out at the end of the first book that he's actually working for. And this organization has some specific missions for which they have uh, targeted Digert as their assassin. When I when I write this, I try to write the point of view of Digert as if, as a reader, you don't really know any more than Digert knows. And so this nefarious plan. It's referenced, it's discussed within this organization, but it is not identified. And you as a reader, you are right there with Diger, learning what what there is to know as he learns it. When we say things like that's on a need-to-know basis, well, that's Diger. He doesn't know things until he needs to know them. And at that point in time, boom, he's got he's to take an action. So I like kind of pulling the reader into the character's point of view and keeping them there so that they're learning as he's learning. What are your future plans uh, for the series? Do you continue to, uh, planning to continue writing uh, about uh, his adventures? I do have the, the third book is currently being edited. It's in the uh, professional editor's hands. So that one will be forthcoming maybe sometime in the summer. Then um, I have two other stories uh, written in rough form for Digert. So there's five stories all together. And if people really like these books and they do well, I will continue to write about him. I have some other thriller ideas that, uh, uh, that I've outlined and that I would uh, also consider working on and creating. Um, but I think I'm going to kind of see how Digert does as my my intro character. You know, when I started this process, uh, just sort of looking at the market, you just sort of see that uh, the best stories seem to come in a series, all the way from Robert Ludlum, Tom Clancy, Vince Flynn, Mark Graney, yourself with your three books. So I thought to myself, well, I shouldn't just write one book. I should write several and then be ready to put the next one out and the next one and the next one because it takes, you know, months <laughs> to write yeah. a book and it takes readers hours to finish reading one. So it's hard to write them at the pace that people read them. So trying to keep ahead of that interest is one of the challenges we all face, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's a big one for me because yeah, the it, it, things have changed. I think people used to expect just like one book a year, and now they want more than <laughs> one book a year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, something uh, on a little personal note, I noticed on your website um, that uh, you uh, some something that catalyzed uh, to actually start writing these stories was uh, you're uh, you survived uh, colon cancer and. You had a early detection colonoscopy. I just had mine last month, and I dragged oh. my feet on doing it for about a year. So, uh, <laughs> so I read that. And I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> well, I I certainly hope your colonoscopy came back negative. Yes, it did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I do like to remind people that because I and I'm glad you brought it up, Alan, because I was 
and I am a, a fit, active guy. And I just figured, look, I don't need to do this. I'm this I'm the fittest guy around. But the truth was that I was without symptoms at all. And so I was a, I was most shocked when they said, No, you've you've got a tumor in there, buddy. And I was very, very fortunate that the cancer that was performed was successful, that there was no metastasis. And it took five years worth of uh, checking to, to, to get to the point of, of being said, okay, you're cured. So I was very, very lucky and very, very fortunate. And I very much credit it to going and getting the colonoscopy because I was 50 for no other reason and being lucky that it was found early. But what that really did for me was take that notion of, well, hey, someday I'm going to write a book to sort of realize, well, buddy, your some days may not be quite so many. And so it just made me say, look, my my life is great, family's great, career's great and all that, but here's this one thing I do want to do before the end of my days, and I'm going to do it. And so it did serve as the sort of uh, fire under my butt to go through the process, get do all the editing, find the publisher, work with the publisher, get it out there, do the marketing, do all of that, was kind of realizing that uh, time was now. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, and, uh, and as much as I was dreading it, it the, the prep part was uh, the worst. The actual colonoscopy was like, geez, they put you under, so it's like easy peasy. <laughs> You're, you're absolutely right about that. The, the prep part is no fun. You know, you've got several hours on a toilet there, but the the actual process is relatively easy. Right, relatively easy. And then you, when you get good news like yours, what a relief, eh? What a relief. And then you don't have to worry or wonder. And if you find out early, kind of like, like I did, then there are treatment options that can be very effective, and and I'm and I'm I'm a case in point for that. And if if you don't, then who knows what happens, right? Yeah, and exactly, uh, it, that can be bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, glad it uh, turned out uh, okay for you, and that you're doing well. And now we have these uh, great thrillers coming out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, all right, uh, Bill, I want to th uh, thank you uh, for being on the podcast. And for the listeners, um, probably the best place to find and learn about you would be your website, billbrewerbooks.com. Yep, that's correct. All the social media is connected through there, Facebook and Twitter. But, uh, yes, they can find out quite a bit of uh, information, even about the colonoscopy, right there on, on the website. So. Uh, I hope people take a chance to to look at that. Okay, thanks so much, uh, Bill, for being on the podcast. It was nice talking to you. Okay, my pleasure, Alan. You have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Meet the Thriller Author podcast. Be sure to visit thrillerauthors.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover great thrilling reads. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe, uh, rate, and give a review 
uh, to it, wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, podcast, be it uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, wherever it is that you're uh, listening to this right now, I would appreciate it. And uh, please do check out my own thriller novels over at my website at alanpeterson.com. Until next time.